The Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello and welcome to The Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is Alex Argudine, CEO with the Miami Parking Authority. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing great, enjoying this weather here in Miami. I don't know where you're at, but here, it's beautiful weather. Well, what is it, like 70 and sunny? <laughs> it started at 48, so we all took all our parkas, and then now it's climbing to 70. Wow, and I didn't go. I didn't know it gets in the forties. That's that's uh, okay. Three days, Isaiah. <laughs> it's going to be eighty degrees on Saturday. <laughs> oh, that's crazy! And so we're recording here. What is it, early February? And that's right. Uh, it's that's that makes me sick. Eighty degrees. But I've been tracking you down to get you on the podcast. I've actually had several people recommend you for the podcast. You got a great story, so I want to jump right into it. And one of my favorite stories is kind of how you evolved into the role that you're in now. So tell us how you got into parking. So that's a great story, right? Because I don't think any of us grow up thinking we're going to be in the parking business. Um, And I sure uh, was one of those people. So I was working for the city of Miami. I've worked uh, for government for 14 years. I started when I was very, very young. And as I got older and, and, you know, I went to school, I started managing public facilities for the city of Miami. And we worked very closely with the parking authority because they managed the parking for some of my facilities. And at the time I met with Ard and Romy was working also for the parking authority, Chester. So a great group of folks that worked and started their great careers through MPA. And Art approached me to come work for the parking authority as a chief development officer at the time. It, it was a lateral move for me actually. And I said, no, you know, I I still have some things I want to complete at the city before I make that move. And it's also something that I had grown up at the city and change was always something that my parents, you know, I came from very humble beginnings and they always said, you know, keep your job and you got to stay focused and, you know, don't lose your job and stay in one place. And and so I I remained there for, I, I believe it was about a year until Art came back and said, hey, listen, I have this opportunity. Either you take it or I'm going to do something different with the structure of the organization. And so I took a leap of faith and I came over to the parking authority and I haven't looked back since. And now it's been, it's going to be 15 years I've been here now. So that's how I started uh, my career in parking. That's crazy. 15 years. And and it's, I forget how many all-stars came through Miami parking authority. Uh, Well, I I don't know if Romy is an all-star. He's all right. But the, but the other folks that have come through (laughs) Miami parking authority, that's pretty, there's another operation Ann Arbor where, you know, Jim Corbett, Mark Lyons, Tony Bassesi, all these great parking professionals all manage that operation one time or another. So that's kind of like the Ann Arbor of, of, of Florida. And then the other thought I think is, yeah, you know, nowadays they're saying it's okay to jump you know, every year jump from company to company, they said that's more acceptable now in interviews and following your, following your dreams or moving on up in the world where back then you're right, where that's the same advice I got from my parents. You want to work for the same company for 20 years, get the corner office and get that retirement, but it's changing now, but uh, you made the right decision because now you are CEO. So I can't, 
think of a better person to assume that role from art. Miami Parking Authority, man, they got to be one of the largest parking agencies in the United States. I'm sure they are in Florida. Um, but tell us how that came about. How's that role going for you? It was an honor for me to sit here as the first female in over 60 years that we've been um, in place to get this uh, opportunity. Wow. And so I really do thank my board for that and having the confidence in me and definitely my predecessor, um, Art Noriega, who's now the city manager for the city of Miami. He gave me a lot of, he backed me uh, for all these years that I worked with him. He really took me under his wing and, and really mentored me to come into this position. And I think that he gave me this opportunity as well. And when he went to uh, become city manager, I was then ready to take over for this position and, you know, continue his legacy and create my own. So it was a very uh, great opportunity, except that it happened March 4th. So it's going to be a year. This, this year is going to be a year that I've been in this position. Wow. You literally started the CEO role, CEO role when the pandemic started. That's two crazy. weeks prior. Yes. Wow. Two weeks prior before I sent everybody home. So my first, my first big, my first big decision was to send everybody home in two weeks oh, um, after I started. So it was interesting. I, I got to tell you, and in the face of adversity, you really have to, uh, you know, put a, get a good head on your shoulders. I am very fortunate that I have a very good staff and they have been here for a very long time as well. They really embraced me. They, they did that uh, from the onset. And, you know, while everybody was going home, my main staff stayed here with me. We held hands and we said, this is how we're going to move forward. You know, that we had a lot of tough decisions to make. And, um, and I, I'm very happy to say we were all able to stay afloat. We didn't really, we didn't really have to impact a lot of our staff. And we, we did produce a lot for the community while, while this continues to be a pandemic. But there's a lot more people out on the street now than there were then. And so I grew a lot through that time. I got to tell you, Isaiah, you know, sometimes you jump into these positions and you really got to jump in and, uh, you know, feet first and, and hope for the best. I mean, I, I couldn't really rely on art too much because he was dealing with his own things at the city. You know, he took on a much larger role and, and all of a sudden this pandemic hit him as well. So I think that, that I did grow a lot. I had a lot of time to, to read through our projects and, and focus on the goals that we wanted to achieve. As one of, you know, we, we do produce a lot of money for the city and we do generate a lot of revenue. And so when we started looking at our numbers and seeing what, you know, the devastation that this was causing, you know, that, that put a lot of stress and like on me and like on everybody else, I'm sure that you've gone through the same thing with your company. But, you know, we're, we're beginning to see uh, coming out a little bit, a little, you know, little by little, at least we are. We, we feel like, you know, we have this year to to figure it all out. And then, and then we'll, we, we seem to be hitting the ground running, especially on street, not so much off street, but little by little where now the creative juices are running. Uh, what do we do next? How do we make this work? And how do we pivot to the things that are not coming back? So it's been a lot in a very little bit of time, but that's what keeps me going. I need to be busy all the time. If not, I'd be hanging out my shoes. Yeah. I think Speaking of which, you know, you guys are probably poised to handle the future because of where you're already at as far as touchless mobile payments. But we'll get to that in a second. I had a couple thoughts of your with your story. I'm reminded of that quote. Can't remember who says it. I've said it on the podcast before, but adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. So I think that, you know, you such a great leader and having to go through this, it didn't necessarily 
build character. It just revealed that you are a leader and that you're you're meant to do this. And I also think of the role of mentors. I've had people like Art has been for you in my life, like Steve Resnick and some other folks that mm-hmm. have gone out of their way to make me look good, that always looked out for me. And I'm so glad you have someone, people like that backing you. But man, this is a whole nother podcast to talk about because I remember the IPMI Leadership Summit you did a panel with Art. You guys told the story how you guys weren't always actually best of buzz. That you, you know there was some conflict at first. You guys weren't sure filling each other out, but how you grown through that, and how you know he's a mentor and helps you land this position. So that's a lot, lot, a lot to lot to say there. That's a great story. Did I say that really? Did I say that in that panel? <laughs> yeah, you guys don't remember that? Oh yes, I do. Yeah. Because I, as I'm I'm laughing as we talk, because when I said Romy. I mean, really, Art and I become friends because Romy embarrassed me so badly in, in front of Art. And that's how Art and I became friends because I couldn't stand him. Um, and, and so, and here we are 15 yeah. years later, I'm sitting in his, in his seat. So that's yeah, crazy. that's how life is sometimes. And, you know, you need to realize that, you know, sometimes things happen and you, you wonder why. Mm. And then, you know, years pass and you look back and you say, this is exactly what the plan was, you know? Isn't it crazy? So, yeah. Yeah. And then before we get into our theme, one more thing, just to shout out, I think you were on the APO board actually, but uh, Miami Parking Authority also got their APO with distinction a few years back. So I know you were, you were involved with that, but tell us a little bit about what P- APO is in that process there of Miami Parking Authority getting accredited. So yeah, this is, a, this is a designation that I'm very proud of. I think it's one of the things that I worked on while I was uh, heading the operations department that was important to me. As a matter of fact, when they reached out, uh, Rachel reached out to us to do it. I, I say yes to everything pretty much all the time. And now, now sitting in this position, you know, I'm becoming um, more, more cautious as you, to the things I say yes to. You have be, to. You have to learn to say no. I learned the same thing because I was Rachel's also yes man. You know, I, I did so much for IPMI, but I had to learn to say no, but I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. That's yeah, great. no, yeah. at all, at all. And, and, it's a, and it's been a pleasure. I think I grew a lot from this. I think that this was a good stepping stone, actually getting the APO and becoming involved with IPMI. And sitting on the APO board, I think is what really was a stepping stone for me wanting to uh, sit on the IPMI board. And when she approached us on the APO, it was, okay, here, this, these are, um, what APO is, is it establishes a benchmark of the quality by which a parking management organization should conduct its business, pretty much is what it is, and how it should maintain its facilities and provide their services. So this also assures the public that the parking program meets the endorsed standards for professionalism and accountability and et cetera. So knowing that, I thought, well, are we anywhere near what these standards are? And you, there are 14 categories. There are a ton of criteria that, that you need to meet 80% of that criteria. There are, there are requirements in each of these categories that have to be met. So there are a lot of things that have to be done and achieved in order for you to get this, this designation. So the first thing we did was, you know, I, I took a look at it. I read through it first and said, I just put a check mark near everything that I thought, you know, we have. And we organized ourselves. I I worked with my assistant. We organized ourselves. We divided the categories. We gave it to each one of the directors. 
where, where everything belonged. And, and we said, listen, you got to have at it. We need all this proof. We need all this information. We filed it. We created files electronically. And I think that organization helped us get, being organized helped us get through the process. It's not an easy process. You realize uh, what the standards across the industry are that you are not at, and you strive to get there. But we did soon realize that we were close to the top of our game as it related to, to being, achieving the standards. So we went ahead and uh, we had someone come. We had someone come, come see all the information that we had gathered uh, to prove. Of course, you have to prove to somebody that what you're saying you have, you, you have in place. And we, we were able to get that designation. And, and that we, were very, we were very excited about it. I, I also say this with the same breath that I tell a lot of the people that I do speak to and the different cities I speak to. We are an anomaly as an authority, unlike many municipalities, because as an authority, we have our own HR department. We have our own finance department. We have our own operations department. We have our, you know, our IT department. So to gather this information wasn't as difficult for me as it has proven to be for a lot of other municipalities that have to go through, you know, 10 different departments to get to that information. For us, we're all, you know, confined in one, in one place. So I always say that as a caveat because I don't want people to think, oh, this is a breeze because it's not. And you soon realize that I think that committee did such a good job in setting standards by which people have to abide by. And they do change those categories often. They, they not often, but often enough that it keeps up with the times. And so I'm curious to see what it's going to look like after this pandemic as well. So Along with that, we went ahead and there was a section called APO with distinction that you mentioned earlier. And so that was meant for, to capture the more innovative practices of most of the progressive organizations. Um, it goes beyond the level of, of required for accreditation. So when we were doing our APO program to get the designation, we went ahead and we started looking at what the industry thought that we should be at to get with distinction. So you had to be above board. And I thought, I think we could achieve that. And we had to work on some things. Um, and I always say this, and I say this every time I speak to a crowd about APO, I always say sustainability was probably one of the hardest categories for us, which opened my eyes to the fact that we needed to do more to be sustainable. And so it forced us to work harder towards that goal. And we were able to achieve it we were able to achieve our 80% of all the criteria we were able to meet on the regular APO, you know, the, the requirements. We were all able to meet the requirements, the 80% of the criteria, and then the 80% of the criteria with distinction. And we were able to get the following year our APO with distinction. And that was a very wow. problem moment for us. We do display our, our sign uh, for everyone to see, and we are very happy that we've been able to do that. We are almost up for reaccreditation now and we're, we're almost done with our package as well. So this is something that I think everybody should strive for. If they don't get there, I think it's good to at least strive for it because that's, every, everybody should be meeting those standards. Yeah, that's what I was going to say that it's, it's not just a pat on the bat. Look at us like I encourage every municipality to do Correct. it because it makes you think about things you haven't thought about. It's almost like a, a checklist, how to run a, the best possible operation that you can. Here's how to do it. Like you said, you know, you, 
you guys weren't maybe thinking about sustainability at the time and it opened your eyes and now you're doing things that you may have never done had you not looked into this. So I encourage everyone I've helped probably four or five municipalities go through this. Our company went through this. I uh, can't recommend it enough. So congrats to uh, Miami Parking Authority. Am I allowed to call it MPA? Is that? Is yes, that, MPA. Is the, absolutely. Do people call it? All right, MPA. And by the way, kudos to you because I think that people sometimes just focus on municipalities and airports and, you know, education, you know, universities. And, and I think that the, the private sector has really done a great job in you're one of us, you know, we're all in the same industry. We all do the same things and everybody should be held to the same standards. And I, and I kudos to you for, for also having your, your company striving to get the APO. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's only maybe two out there, two operators that have done it. So yes. I encourage more to step up and do that. Cause it's, yes. uh, it's not, like you said, it's not just for cities and universities. If, if you're managing parking, one fashion, one form or fashion, APO is for you. So well done, Alex. Well done, MPA. And let's get into it. One reason I really wanted you on the show is I want the secret sauce to whatever Miami's doing to get these crazy mobile payment utilization numbers. So I remember hearing you guys were like in the 80%, uh, like 80% of people that park are using the app, which is crazy. I don't even know what, what is the exact number. So you thought it was crazy. We're at 93%. 93%. 93% mobile technology. Yes. That's crazy. That that literally means of all the payments, 93% of them Correct. are from an app? Correct. So all our on-street payments, 93% of our on-street payments are coming from an app. Yes. So if 100 cars part, 93 of them use the app. Is that because they're, they're, it's a joke because there's no meters at all or no, there's meters as well? So there is a, there's a story to to this and the success didn't come overnight absolutely did not come overnight. We started this, this process in 2008. Again, something very visionary um, that my predecessor put in place. And we were one of the first municipalities or authorities, parking organizations to try this out. At the time, in 2008, we had probably over 800 multi-space machines. We had 12,000 single-space machines meters on the street. And then we rolled this out. So we use mobile payment technology and we hope for the best. At the time, remember, it's not like we, everybody had smartphones. It was a 1-800 number that you had to dial in. That's what I was thinking. I don't, I don't think the iPhone was invented in 2008. I got I to verify I, that, but that's I crazy. Was thinking, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Like, was, was the iPhone already in place? Uh, but, but so it wasn't easy yet. Yeah, at the time it wasn't uh, an app. It was the 1-800 number that you had to dial in, or you could go on the website and you could start the process by which you would put in your number. So your number was the identifier. Everything else was just ancillary. So if you would call, it would already recognize your number. It was already in the system. And then you already had put your license tag in and you would pay for parking. What we realized at the time was that people would start the process. They actually liked that you didn't have to get out, get out of your car, go to a machine and pay, that you could do it from your phone. It was great. It didn't take off as fast as what well, we didn't think it was going to take off as fast because there was other uh, ways of doing things and, um, and paying for parking. So that you had so many options. You could pay with coin, you could pay with cash, you could pay with credit card. Uh, you had a machine in, in every five feet. And again, like life is, right? Everything is about change and, and you wanting to change and, and education. So we noticed that people would go through the process, sign up 
for this mobile technology. And then it would get to the part where it would ask you for your license plate. And then everybody would drop off. I mean, uh, you could see the yeah. drop off because yeah. people thought, hey, uh, I don't know my license plate. People didn't know their license plate at the time. Today, uh, there's, a, there's a mall here that is, is doing pure LPR. And if you want to get your, your parking waived, you have to have your license plate off the top of your head. So here in Miami, a lot of people know their, their license tag already. Screenshot at yeah. the favorites. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. percent. So, but at the time that did not exist. That's 2008. So I would tell you for the first five years, the most I got was 20%. I had 20% adoption. Which is Again. funny because that's probably the industry average when you look at the average municipality around the country, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is shocking to me, by yeah. the way, but it's not, it's not, it's not as shocking to me. Again, Isaiah, we, and politically, we also had a lot of, we had a lot of backing politically. And I think that when we talk about any parking topics, you know, one of the topics that comes out, an issue that comes out is legislative, you know, how, how legislatively are you going to be able to do this? And so we had a lot of support. We had a lot of support from our board. Uh, we are a semi-autonomous agency and our board members are very forward thinking as well. And so after five years at 20% and the monies that we were spending on single space meters and the maintenance, and you know, we have a lot of creative folks here who, who know how to pick on those machines and take out the quarters. And it was just, it, it, it became very interesting here. The things that we found out that people do and we, we, you know, the, the problems that we had with our equipment we also have a lot of heat and we have a lot of, uh, you know, that, that salt the from rain, the sand, the yeah. salt, uh, the humidity. So we had provided, unlike a lot of cities, we had cash, like so dollar bills, we had coins, we had credit cards, uh, which a lot of people don't have cash. And now I know why. So we started saying, hey, listen, you know, at least the single space meters, we got to get we got to get them out because we have multi space meters. Why do we need single space meters? They're causing a, a, a problem. Uh, people are stealing from them. That I could tell you a thousand stories. And we said, listen, we already have, you know, we're trying to provide this mobile payment technology. We have the multi-space meters, over 800 of them. We started eliminating the single space meters. And I'll tell you, by 2015, we had taken out all the single space meters from the street. We then were left with the multi-space meters. So we had multi-space meters and we had the mobile payment app. We started closing out the dollar bills because to maintain those dollar bill acceptors were, it, it was a nightmare, uh, especially because of the wet bills and the salt and everything we talked about. Yeah, the humidity. Yeah, yeah. So we all did this very carefully. And I'll tell you why, Isaiah, because, you know, you always think about, you know, what is the, the you know, are you going to have any backlash on this? You know, people are used to this already. You've given them something. Now you're taking it away. How are they going to react? So we did a little by little in the places that we knew weren't accepting them, you know, weren't, weren't processing that many dollars. So we started in those places. We waited. We saw the, what the feedback was. Ah, we didn't get any backlash. We went on to the next area. And then before you knew it, we had closed out all the, the, the bill acceptors. So we did that. Then we started removing. When we saw areas where we didn't have uh, multi-space meter usage, then we started removing those from those areas. And little by little, we were left with about like 400 machines. From, four, from what did it start at 12,000 oh, singles oh, and 800? And 800 pay stations. multi-space, yeah. yeah. So listen, that was a, a brave move on our part because we do have a lot of po the population here. You have a lot of elderly, you have a lot of tourists. So 
we were very careful in the way we did it because we didn't want to, you know, affect negatively our revenues and affect negatively the people who are coming here and then getting a citation because they had no form of paying. And so in 2015, we made a, a decision to change out the equipment that we had left over on the streets. We wanted to change it, upgrade it because it was it was already older. We didn't have any, you know, the screens weren't color and we wanted to be able to do something more innovative uh, using the screen. So we did that. We upgraded all our, our equipment and we were down to like 400 machines. That's what we put throughout the city. So it was half our inventory. And through this all, this is what we decided to do. After our first five years, I think we had a very robust, on the mobile technology side, a very, what I would consider at the time, robust advertising campaign. We amped that up after our first five years. And I will tell you, Isaiah, and I tell this to everybody. And who's your partner in this? Sorry to interrupt, just so I want to hear what's going on here. My partner, my mobile technology partner? Yeah, your is provider. Pay by phone. It's pay by, it's, phone. It's pay by yep. phone. And so they decided... We, we, along with them, we're like, listen, you know, I, we need to market this. And we literally, nothing that we used to promote for MPA did we do anymore. We just literally started promoting pay by phone. We started promoting using your app to pay. We started promoting, you know, this is how you do it. Let's walk you through the, the process. Let's go do events at different locations so people could sign up. And little by little, that's how we started doing it, Isaiah. A lot of people don't put in the time, they don't put in the money or the effort to do that. And so you do see this plateau that happens at 20% because there's still too many options. So not only is there options, but people don't care to learn how to do this because this is not what they've always done. Now with smartphones, I, I, I'm shocked that you say that that's still almost a national average because I think with the smartphones, everybody's just quick on their phones. They want to open an app and they want to keep on going. They don't want to stop. They don't want to touch a machine, especially not now. Um, so. I'm curious to see what other cities are doing. I have said this so many times about the importance of teaching, reprogramming people to use this, but you also have to deduct from somewhere. So for us, we had a lot of support in reducing the amount of equipment that we had on the street. And we went ahead and continued to do that along with the promotion of the mobile payment app. And I mean, we, our campaign was year round. No matter where we went, we put a lot of time and effort into it, and our partner did too. So we joined hands and we said, we're going to partner. We're going to be real partners, and we want this to work. This is the way we're going to do it. And so we, did, we made that decision. And I'll tell you, in the year seven, we saw an increase from 20% to 60%. So in two years, in two years, I doubled what I had, tripled what I had um, as it related to adoption. And that is when we, when we had amped up that, uh, the, the, the promotional part of it and when we started really taking away equipment from the street. And so, of course, you're pressed. So now you're not going to walk a block to put up money in the machine. I'm just going to download pay by phone. And so this is how we did it. And it was very successful. We, when we saw that success, we decided to go ahead and keep on removing equipment from the street. Today... We have 180 machines, more or less, on the street. Everything else is processed using the mobile payment app. Wow, what and, a story. What a and, case study. Yeah. So today we're at 93%. And I'll tell you, it was at 95 right before the pandemic. We've dropped a little bit because just the money is not there right now. But we're at 93%, even 
during this pandemic. I was traveling with someone recently and they went and like printed out their, well, this is actually before COVID, but they printed out their, their boarding ticket. And I just forgot that that option's still available. I, I thought you, just, you almost had to do it on your phone now just because right. it's so much easier. But then you think about like, I've never gone to a gas station and used my phone to pay. I think you probably can with like uh, Apple Pay and stuff. But it's funny how certain industries, it's it's just more common and more acceptable than others. Right. I, I don't want to be touching the gas I know, Stuff, but but and, I just, and I'll tell you, you know, Isaiah. Look, I think funny. we're yeah. I think we're relatively, you know, the older I get, the the younger I think the older people are. So now, you know, <laughs> when you're yeah. younger, you're like, oh my god, sixty's so old, and now I'm like, wow, sixty's so young. That person's so young. <laughs> um, and so I, I see it for us, and and I tell you, I I my son now is driving, and he puts, you know, I, I make him put gas in my car, and. He's like, how do you use? I give him a credit card. He's like, how do you use this? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, he's like, you don't just, put this against like a. He he wanted to he wave wanted to his phone, <laughs> and I'm like, like a what? box card. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking, wow, I'm antiquated. I I thought I was I was hip and into it. So I'm telling you, Isaiah, that you're gonna see more of this. And I think as the the legislative body continues to change, you're going to see a lot more change, even in our industry as it as it relates to this. Well, it's funny. Before COVID, it was. You know, you have to offer cash, coin, and now with the whole touchless, it's almost the reverse. They, you have to provide a touchless way. That's more common now. So, did it grow between pre-COVID and COVID, or was it always flirting with that ninety-three percent, or did it jump a few points from pre-COVID to after COVID? So, it was at nine. I reached ninety percent in twenty eighteen. So, twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen, year okay. eleven. Is when I reached that, and then, and then 2019 to 2020, I flirted at at 95% was our max, at 95%. And I'll tell you again, unlike a lot of municipalities, we did have a rate increase right like before COVID, like a year before COVID hit, we had a rate increase. Our citation rates went up because our citation rates were extremely low. So I was able to push that, and Art pushed that when while he was still here about a year before, uh, before the pandemic. And so we did see huge growth in revenues right before then. So I did get to, and, and there was a lot going on here and there was a lot of tourism and everything was kicking. Remember, I also have the Port of Miami. Remember, the cruises are not going anywhere. So we have taken a huge hit on the, the, the people who come visit, uh, the tourists yeah. and the international tourism is dead. So we did reach 95%. Now I'm at 93. So I it, it actually, I'm flirting between 93 and 95. And I've been there since 2019. Still, that's, yeah, that's crazy. So what are some other benefits? What were some other improvements you saw just from the more people that pay mobile payments versus the old traditional way? Well, I mean, the ones that you see all the time, besides the the maintenance. So all of a sudden you don't have the the maintenance issues anymore because you don't have, you have less machines. People are not waiting in line as, as much. People are going to their meetings and we get this a lot from the business, the businesses and the restaurants. If you were time is expiring, you could extend your time on your phone. You don't have to get up, go to the machine, put another ticket on your window, et cetera. You don't have to do that anymore. And so there are benefits. There's a lot of benefits to that on top of the fact that we have become, and, and, and at least here, I could tell you, 
a community by which we live on our phones. Everything is done by our phones, our emails, our, our, you know, our business, everything we do is so heavily manipulated by our phones that, you know, having this app and having the ease of use, especially here, it rains or you where, wherever it snows, you get out of your car, you're not going to a machine to make a payment. You're going to pay out on your phone and you're going to call it a day and you're going to keep on moving on. And I think that that has been our claim to fame. People who don't, people, we ask this all the time when we do presentations, who doesn't have, you know, a mobile payment app? And then the people who raise their hands, everybody else got ganged up on them. You know, <laughs> how do you not have it? Have you not used this? Um, and, and it's interesting because it is the ease of use. I have to say that that's probably the, the biggest thing. I also think, Isaiah, that you and I both know that there's a lot of this micromobility movement whether you're a fan of the scooters or not, whether you're a fan of the bikes or not, well, all that is coming into play. And all of a sudden, there's so much street furniture that, you know, even removing our, our multi-space machines have, has allowed for, for other things uh, and maybe some more important things to take over our streets. So For sure. Uh, yeah, so th- there's a lot. And I think that if you're thinking about it, especially now after the pandemic, people do not want to go to touch a machine. And it's, by the way, and, and it's our responsibility to keep those machines clean too. We had to enter into some protocol. We had to do a, a schedule by which our guys were going out there, our, operate, our operations department was going out there, the maintenance folks, to, to clean the machines on, on a more frequent basis so that people would feel secure using it. And I think that that has also allowed for people to sign up for pay by phone mm-hmm. or to use their mobile payment app so that they don't have to go and touch the equipment. All right. And lastly, before we go, I want to give IPMI a shout out. Uh, they're a strategic partner of the Parking Podcast. Uh, you talked about APO, which is an IPMI product. You're also on the IPMI board. But most importantly, you are a CAP graduate. And I've heard a lot of different opinions, but I believe you were part of the greatest CAP graduation class of all time. Is that correct? Absolutely correct, Isaiah. I was class of 2012, <laughs> along with my friend Isaiah. Yeah. And you know, you know, Isaiah, I'm glad you asked that question because it seems like people gloat about their class. Like, you know, somebody that I don't want to mention names, Gary Means. Gary Means. <laughs> but but I, I tell you, we were the best class. And and you know, I and this is a shout out to everybody who's done CAP and you know the importance of CAP. I think our relationship, Isaiah, is since 2012, since we went through those through the CAP classes um, and, and we forged a relationship that I, I admire and I'm, I'm glad that this industry has given me that opportunity to establish not that relationship, not only with you, but all our fellow graduates and, and everybody in IPMI. Oh yeah, that was some great time. Man, it's 2012, that's crazy, eight, nine years ago. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, Teresa Trussell, Hal King, Steve Hernandez, yeah. yeah, a lot of movers and shakers in there. So. I'm glad that we settled it. It's on the podcast. It's official that the 2012 class is the greatest. You got class it. Of and I will time. repeat it every single time I have <laughs> okay. a chance, Isaiah. I love it. So actually, and, and quickly, we I know we're running out of time here, but you're on the IPMI board as well. Tell us about that experience. I believe you may be treasurer now. So talk to us about what it's like being on the IPMI board. That was a, a great opportunity for me. And like I said, I think that. I didn't want to join a board that I wasn't going to give 100% to. And, and that's always been my philosophy. I, I sit on boards and committees that I feel that I can contribute to. And after I sat at the APO board, I thought, 
this is this is some this is where I really want to be. And and I had a couple of things that I already had under my belt, and I thought this is a good time for me to put out my name. And then I was nominated uh, for the IPMI board. And I'll tell you, in my first year, my second year, my second year has been, you know, it's been sad because I haven't been able to really uh, forge stronger relationships uh, with my peers because we haven't been able to see each other. And I'm hoping that we're able to do that soon. But I, I was able to establish really good relationships with other professionals in our industry um, that are also board members. And even if you're a member of the IPMI community, you are able to tap into so much knowledge and uh, so much experience and you never have to feel like you're in an island. And I think that that's one of the things I've gathered, not only from being a member of IPMI, but also sitting on the board is that we all have the same, in one way or another, we all feel the same pinches and, and we all try to resolve issues together. And, and I think that that is very important. And I think that's one of the, the better things that we get out of, of our membership. But I also think that we have a purpose and we need to improve our industry and showcase what parking as a whole brings to the table. And I think that that's what this board is about. And I think that seeing in, in the executive committee, you know, my, my, my heart fills knowing that I get to work with Dave and with Gary, even though he's not in the best class and, and Romy, <laughs> um, because it, uh, Romy brings a lot of laughter to the table and I'm sure Sean would uh, agree to that. But I, I have had the opportunity to sit with three of the most smartest men in this industry, people who have a lot of, of years under their belt and they have taken me under their wing and I'm very grateful to them for that. And I, and the board members have been very supportive and I'll tell you, I've, I've enjoyed my time with them. And, you know, I hope that I do have an opportunity to continue to be on the board and, and to, to give to IPMI. Well, you got my vote last time and you'll get it again if, if you run again, but that's one of my dreams too. That's on the bucket list to run for the IPMI board, the, such a great organization done so much for me in my career. So Alex, just before we jump off, what is the best way for listeners to learn more or follow along with all the exciting things that Miami Parking Authority is doing? The best way is uh, to follow us through our social media mediums, which is Instagram. Our, our handle is at MPA community and Facebook and Twitter. We are at Miami Parking. And I will put all that in the show notes. So Alex, Thank you so much. It meant a lot. I'm so glad we've had the a relationship all these years with the best cap class of all time, but it's been exciting <laughs> you watching you uh, skyrocket to the top there. So thanks for joining the podcast. And thank you so much for having me, Isaiah. It was a pleasure. Have a great week. You too. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mal. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker Solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, 
enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcast. Are you interested in your parking organization becoming APO, Accredited Parking Organization Certified through the International Parking and Mobility Institute? Or perhaps you're interested in one of your green garages becoming ParkSmart Certified through USGBC? Well, the Parking Podcast is here to help. Our Parking Accreditations Consultants Network will ensure you are matched with the best site reviewer or green garage assessor available for a fraction of the price. Learn more at parkingcast.com slash consulting. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup-to-nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking, and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org slash textbook. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is Alex Argudine, CEO. <laughs> I'm going to mess it up. Did I get it? Argudine? You did. Oh, man. You I'm did. Put, you got I'm, it right. <laughs> I'm putting that in the outtakes for sure. All right, here we go. All right, here we go.